as I've stepped into the entrepreneur journey, one thing I've noticed about myself is I don't want to do things that other people have done. I don't want to jump into crowded spaces. I would much rather go swim in a blue ocean than fight my way in a red ocean where it's hyper competitive and we're having to, you know, get beat up on price because there's 14 other people that they could call, you know, in the next 30 minutes that could right. give them a better price. And so this idea of like category creation and kind of blazing new trails has always been exciting to me. Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of James Carberry. James is the founder and CEO of Sweetfish Media. Sweetfish produces podcasts for B2B organizations. James shares his journey and unique entrepreneurial journey from the oil and gas industry to one of the leaders in the fast-growing podcasting space. Questions we answer today are why podcasting is the new blogging, why building a reoccurring revenue model was the key to sustainable and scalable growth, how James and company are striving to educate a million leaders every day. Unlike most founders, James understood early on in order to scale, he needed to step away out of certain day-to-day operations. Why he moved across the country to do helicopter logistics for NASCAR. Yep, you heard that right. And plus much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, it's, it's definitely my pleasure. And I know this is going to be another one of those epic episodes. I usually judge this by the, let's say your difficulty of aligning schedules and making sure <laughs> we get together. So I appreciate you taking some time. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this conversation. Me too. All right. So, so to get started, I always like to give my guests or ask you to provide a little bit of background of, you know, your company, you know, we'll have it. I've seen the show notes, people know from the intro, but Sweetfish yep. Media. So give us a little bit of background on the company of where you are today, you know, what your role is today, who you're working with, and, you know, then I'll take you that back down memory lane a little bit. Awesome. So Brett, we started off as a blog writing shop back in January of 2015 and transitioned about a year into the business into becoming a podcast agency. So we started working specifically with a lot of B2B brands. So some larger companies, mostly mid-market companies producing podcasts for those companies really on the back of what we call content-based networking, which is this idea that when you have a podcast, you uh, are now seen as the media and that affords you the opportunity to create relationships, very strategic relationships with every person that you feature as a guest on your show. So if you're um, a sales team at a B2B company or you're trying to build relationships, maybe you're an entrepreneur looking for investors, you can approach those people with a different ask than the traditional ask, which is usually, can I have 15 minutes of your time to pitch you my product? Nobody wants to take those meetings because people don't want to be sold to, but people do want to be featured 
on a podcast or in some form of media. And so when I had this epiphany early in the, within the first year of, uh, of us as a business, I decided to pivot the business into solely focusing on that. And so so we really tried to build out the category of content-based networking. I'm writing a book about it. And uh, we've recently shifted from primarily being focused on producing podcasts for other companies. So we're basically just the third-party service provider. In the last six months, we've started to focus a lot more on building out our own shows. So building out shows around HR, around B2B sales, around cybersecurity, around industrial manufacturing, different industries where we feel like with our expertise in podcasting and in media, we can come in and start to create brands within these large industries and actually own the shows ourselves and then work with partners. So still working with clients and working with customers, but they then become the co-hosts of our show as opposed to us producing their own show. And what that allows us to do is really do a lot of co-marketing. So by working with 10 different companies on a single show that we own, we can all go a lot further faster by going together as opposed to trying to climb up you know, your own mountain and trying to, trying to get to thought leadership on your own, you, it affords you the uh, ability to partner with, you know, nine other companies and 10, I guess, including us to build a show that the market will, will want to hear. And so by 10 companies promoting that show, it's going to obviously get uh, grow an audience a lot, you know, a lot quicker than it would have before. So I, I say that, you know, I used to think our customers wanted a show and what I've come to find out is that what our customers want is an audience. And so we're building, we're starting to build shows now with the intent of creating that audience because that's what our customers really want. So long-winded answer, but that's, uh, that's, that's the story of Sweetfish and where we're at today. Yeah, no. And, and I love that story because I think again, my outside in perspective, it would have been easy to fall into the trap of, and trap may not be the right word because I know there's companies that, that do that well, but just being an agency for lack mm-hmm. of a better word for folks around podcasting and content and production and all those areas. But you, I'm guessing we'll come back to your, your journey here in a little bit, didn't necessarily come from an agency world. So yeah. you thought, what's next, right? It wasn't a, yes, it's going to get super competitive at some point in this space. So how do we get out in front of this? And, you know, even, you know, I've been consuming podcasts for a couple years now and full disclosure, you know, you're, I started working with you guys uh, probably a year ago. And to your point of a non, I'm I'm kind of getting all over the post. I'll get back to my question in a second. But, you know, I think that the value, uh, at least what I found early on was I was a guest on your show, then I was a guest on a couple of other podcasts. And, you know, to me, and one of the reasons I started my podcast was, you know, less about necessarily lead gen, but it's just something that I enjoy doing. Like this conversation today, you and I would have this over a beer or a coffee if we were meeting somewhere. And so, you know, I know there's more people that like, that like me that like these, these conversations. So yeah. long would it answer to get back to, you know, directionally where you're taking the company because obviously nobody knows where the podcast space is going, but you know, everybody's kind of an individual media company, right? We've heard yep. that. And so yep. maybe just one more, st- and we'll close with where you think the future is going. I'm just kind of curious yeah. where, what do you think's next? Yeah. What do you guys think is next? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're really putting all our eggs in, in the basket of, you know, 
audio is not going away anytime soon because it allows for passive consumption of content. And so um, we're obviously starting to get a lot more focused on video as well. So where before we were only doing podcasting, as we've made this shift into owning our own shows, we're starting to do a lot more with video. So me saying that audio is not going anywhere anytime soon is not to say that video is not still critically important. We're investing heavily right now in video. But I do think that I love audio because it allows people to listen to content while they're mowing the lawn, while they're on the subway on the way to work, and they listen for a lot longer. So with videos, you might watch a one or two minute video. Maybe if it's a TED Talk, you'll watch a 10 minute video, but you're you're not probably watching a 30 minute video unless it's you know, on Netflix and just insanely high production, but you will listen to a 30 minute podcast episode because you're doing so passively. You're doing something else while you're consuming that audio content. So I'm really bullish on audio. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation specifically for marketers around audio. I've heard of some companies that are starting to do some things around really being able to track at a more granular level who is consuming that audio content so that brands can start to see that their content's actually reaching the right people. Uh, right now, it's kind of a black box. I would love to see some innovation around how people, like the interfaces that people receive audio content. Right now, it's at least with Apple Podcasts, there's no, there's very little engagement that you can right. have with the show. You're just, you're listening to it, but there's no ability to comment or, or have a conversation with the host of the show, you know, unless you do it, you know, email them or, or find them on social and engage with them there. So I or, think there's or a lot do it live, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is, yeah, a whole different, a whole different bear to tackle. So as far as what's coming down the pipe, I, you know, I would love to see some more, some, some innovation around how people consume audio and the level at which they're able to engage with the creator of that content, similar to how, you know, you used to see a lot of people commenting on blogs and, and now we're seeing a lot of, you know, engagement on LinkedIn content. I would love for that to make its way into podcasting. I think that would be at a really special dynamic. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Because I've talked to a few, few, few folks that actually do have really large followings within their podcast. Obviously, you guys do with your, your B2B growth show. Looking at the tracking, right? Trying to get the engagement back and mm-hmm. feedback back. Unless you're out, you get an email list to that same audience. But, you know, the feedback I've received is, you know, they made to your point, mowing the lawn, out running in yeah. the car, then they forget about it. They're not going to send you the email after, after the fact. So, yeah. so if I can put on my wish list, if you guys are looking at innovation is, you know, the ability, if I'm out running in the car, whatever, I hear a quote that I like that I can just hit a button and yeah. take a 30 second clip that I can remember or send it to notes, whatever it is yep. that I don't yep. have to go back and listen to the entire podcast to pull the insights out. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think we're, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation around it. So it's, it's, it's an exciting space to be in and uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to see how it plays out. Excellent. Awesome. I'm sorry. I took you down that rabbit hole a little bit, but no, you know, man, let's, I love let's it. go back because really what I want to get into and you know, a lot of my, my audience listens to is, is kind of your journey and where I want to focus, uh, what I'd like to do is start, you can give us some context before you came up for the idea of Sweetfish and, and ultimately I'm, I'm sure as we were talking, there's been a couple of pivots, but mm-hmm. kind of the ideation, what were you doing when you came up with the idea for the company? And then we'll kind of get into as you started to grow some of the decisions you made. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, so when I first started, you know, I, I got out of college, honestly, not even got a business degree. Um, and I won't say what college because I, I got out of business school and didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant. I had no clue that owning my own business would be something that I would end up doing coming out of college. And I even got a degree in business. So it's, it's kind of sad, honestly. I'm sure it's an indictment on, on me and how much I paid attention in college. But I came out of it and really just thought, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, worked at a bank through college. I knew I probably didn't want to do that anymore. So worked at some larger corporations, uh, insurance company, big oil and gas company in Oklahoma City. And uh, really, it was by sheer serendipity, call it God's grace, whatever you want to call it, ended up being a part of a sweepstakes that my roommate's brother-in-law won. Uh, it was one of those things where you see a commercial on TV, you know, type 555 to one 800 tell, and you can win an all-expense trip to, you know, a professional football game of your choice, yada, yada, yada. You see those things and you go, man, I, uh, nobody ever actually wins those. Uh, well, I got a phone call. I got a phone call one day and said, Hey, my brother-in-law just won the sweepstakes through Altel. Do you want to take a private jet to New York city and watch no a Giants Cowboys game? And I thought, are you, are you kidding me? Of course I want, <laughs> of course I want to do that. So we get off the jet in New York city and Barry Sanders is there to greet us. Uh, wow. so it's just incredible experience. And throughout the day, there was this guy named Jeff that was making sure that all of the logistics were in place for our trip. So that the police escort was waiting for us right out, you know, right at the location where, where the bus needed to meet up with them. We got to the stadium at just the right time to avoid the, you know, the parking nightmare. And, and, and so all of those logistics were coming together because there was this guy named Jeff on this trip. And so I hit it off with this guy and we talked about, you know, faith and family and, and business and ended up just building a, a genuine connection with this guy. And then at the end of the night, I realized that he actually owns a global logistics company. And so Altel was his client and he just happened to be in New York city or, or liked New York city. I forget what the circumstances were for him being the rep that was on site with us that day. But I thought, man, well, this is probably a good guy to know. So we swapped contact information and stayed in contact with him. And uh, about, I think it was probably a year and a half or so later, he called uh, while I was in a cubicle in the accounting department at this oil and gas company, hating my job. And uh, he said, hey, do you want to move to Orlando and uh, run the helicopter division of our logistics company? And so moved across the country and did helicopter logistics for NASCAR for about three years. And that was my first exposure to small business and working okay. for an entrepreneur and Seeing, uh, yes, just seeing it live and in person. Like I got, I got to, you know, at 24 years old, start to have conversations around a P and L um, and, yeah. and start to look at like, what does it take for, you know, for us to have a profitable event? And so every NASCAR race that we would go to, I'd have to make sure going in that we were working with the right number of helicopter vendors that we had enough revenue coming in to offset our cost. Plus obviously make some and and so it was just, I think, a really unique experience for a 24-year-old to get to go through. And so that was really what made me think uh, on the back end of my time there, man, I want to I do this. I think I could do this. I think I could start my own thing. But I didn't know what that would be. I knew I didn't want it to be in you know, helicopter logistics uh, or, <laughs> well, or, or logistics at all. I don't mean to so, interrupt you there, but it's just, no. just curious from your standpoint, because that, you know, most people think entrepreneurial startup 
there's probably 90% that are traditional, like Main Street America, retail yep. or services, and which I guess this was a services, but it's really unique yeah. right? yep. to have that exposure to that world where I think I'm thinking way back to my time when I was at my age that, you know, I may have been caught up in the the glamour of it, right? Of uh, the event and who you're working with and, yeah. you know, helicopters. It just, yep. it's, and I'm just curious if you think you now looking back at that time, if that kind of helped you think differently about future opportunities because it wasn't oil and gas, it wasn't yeah. insurance. I, I think you're, I think you're onto something there. I haven't really thought a lot about that, but as I've stepped into the entrepreneurial journey, one thing I've noticed about myself is I don't want to do things that other people have done. I don't want to jump into crowded spaces. I would much rather go swim in a blue ocean than fight my way in a red ocean where it's hyper competitive and we're having to, you know, get beat up on price because there's 14 other people that they could call, you know, in the next 30 minutes that could right. give them a better price. And so this idea of like category creation and kind of blazing new trails has always been exciting to me. So in, in starting the business, it, starting as a blog writing service, I didn't realize that 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 was something that a lot of other people were doing. I started it because the startup I was working at had no content strategy and I knew that content um, marketing was, was effective. So I was like, okay, well I'll come up with a bunch of content ideas. And, and, uh, and I knew from being at that startup that the actual execution, like nobody was arguing that content wasn't going to win. It was just, there was a small startup and nobody had the bandwidth right. to actually do it. And so I thought, okay, well if I could come alongside and, and do this for people, well, once you're in that business, you realize that there are blog writing shops on every street corner. And so so it's not, you know, it's very competitive and, and we just weren't making enough margin on our service because one, I was brand new and I didn't know what the heck right. I was doing, but it also just kind of lost its luster for me because so many other people did it and it just wasn't exciting. The first product that I ever built, my first company was a product called Worth Day Planner. And it, it was a tool that allowed you to plan really special days for people that you cared about. Well, that nobody was doing that. Nobody had created technology to help you plan like really extravagant days for the people in your life that you want to, that you want to love well right. um, and involve a bunch of different people in it. And so from that first product and then getting into the service business, realizing that blog writing was really crowded space pivoting into podcasting was in large part because nobody else was doing it. Um, and then with our recent pivot, as more and more people have entered the space and a podcast production service is, is more commonplace now, it's really looking forward and going, okay, what is, what's nobody else doing? And starting to build like a podcast first media company is something that not a lot of people are doing at all. So, so I just have fun diving into new spaces. And I think now that you say that, I think it draws all the way back to my, my time with that logistics company and getting the feeling of man, like nobody else gets to put Jeff Gordon on a helicopter every Sunday. Right. Uh, and, and I get to do that. Um, and so maybe getting, getting a taste of that in my early twenties, probably did set me on a trajectory to want that newness uh, and oh. that differentiation. Or ruined you for life because you can't yeah. go back to normal anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So going back to the blogging, which, which I get, um, again, kudos to you because that wasn't your background, but you saw an opportunity in the space. You went there. So podcast, this would have been what, 15, 14, 15 when you had the idea for podcasting. So there was some podcasters out there, but not, it wasn't super yeah. deep. So what was... Yeah. yeah what so I, so I, had a, I had a podcast probably in 2013. Okay. So it was, it was real like 
we were real weird for having a podcast and super unique. So I could basically ask anybody to be a guest on the show and they'd say yes. But I wasn't really thinking about it that way yet. It was more just an excuse for me and my buddy to talk to people that were doing really cool things. So the show was called Inspiring Awesome. And we were talking to nonprofit leaders and people that we met through our church that were just doing really cool things, writing letters to kids in third world countries that were a part of sponsorship programs, but nobody was writing them a letter. So they're getting the financial support, but not the emotional support of a letter. So this girl, you know, she had a full-time job. She it wasn't her job to do this, but she took it on herself to, to write letters to these kids that were a part of these sponsorship programs. So things like that, sharing those stories, super fun. And so when, when we started Sweetfish as this content writing service, we had one of our clients was a brand new church in Houston, Texas, a town called Rosenberg. And we were writing a lot of content for them that was kind of BuzzFeed-esque style content. So it was like seven date night spots in Rosenberg or you know eight things to do with your kids on a Saturday in Rosenberg. And so this content was performing really, really well, especially on Facebook because it was you know, it was captivating content and it was localized. And I thought, man, we could write this kind of content for every church in America, you know, so long as we only worked with one church in each city and that would be a you know massive opportunity for us. So I thought, how can I reverse engineer relationships with these pastors at these churches so that we could end up writing content for them? And so we started another show called Plant Better, where we literally just interviewed church plants and, uh, and, and talked to them about their story, their journey. And then on the back end, we'd see if, you know, it was a fit for us to write content for them. Well, I found out pretty quickly that churches don't have budget for, especially new churches don't have budget for content marketing. And so right. that, that idea fell flat on its face. But the, the idea that I emailed a hundred complete strangers that had no clue who I was and said, Hey, do you want to be a guest on this show? And 80 of them said, yes. I thought, man, we're onto something here <laughs> uh, right, because right, right. Get 80% response rates are few and far between. So that was uh, yeah, a, a little bit more context to what led to what we ultimately ended up doing with, with podcasts. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So it's really started as your own show. And then eventually as you had some success with that, you started branching into production. What was the, yeah? So, uh, so we we had we had the Plant Better podcast and realized that this was a phenomenal biz dev tool. And so, really, we went right from having we kind of shut down that show after we realized that churches weren't going to be able to afford to pay us to write content for them. And we right. made a hard pivot and said, okay, we're going to become a podcast agency and and tell the story of what we were able, what we were able to do with Plant Better in terms of like the eighty percent response rate and then go to a bunch of B2B companies and say, Hey, we can do this same thing for you. We can produce a show for you that can basically give you an in with anybody that you want to talk to. And so we started another show at that point called B2B Growth. And B2B Growth was positioned initially to reach sales leaders. So we were asking a lot of VPs of sales to be guests on our show. And we talked to, I don't know, probably 100, 150 VPs of sales. And what I realized from having these conversations with them is that none of them cared about doing a podcast. <laughs> they, they obviously <laughs> wanted the exposure for themselves uh, of being on a podcast. But when we started the conversation about like, Hey, what if we produced a show for you guys? They would always pass us uh, over to marketing. Okay. It was, Oh yeah, that's, you know, a uh, cool idea. You should talk to my marketing counterpart. And so about 150 episodes in again, because I'm super hard headed, it took a lot for me to go, Oh, well, maybe VPs of sales aren't our buyers. Maybe VPs of marketing are our buyers. So we shifted the focus of the show then to start interviewing VPs of marketing. And that was the, that was the really the, 
where it clicked into place, where we had you know product market fit, so to speak. We had this service around this unique content channel, and uh, we were finally talking to the people that could actually pull the trigger and had the budget allocated for different types of content. Uh, and so that's that's when it really we really started to see a lot of traction. Makes sense, and it comes back to to solving that customer problem and how do yep. you do it differently, right? It's different yep. and uh, unique. People are, are looking for so yep. that's fantastic. So looking at it from all right, so now you've got the concept, right? You, you're on, you've got momentum, you got traction, and you're, now you're starting to grow and scale the company, right? Yeah. And a lot of folks I work with and hear from, you know, that's the first not the first, first hurdles, obviously finding the right product and solution and momentum yeah. with customers, but assume you get the product market fit, you're off and running. Now all of a sudden you've got yeah. business and maybe too much business that your current team can handle. If it's you and one other person or a couple, yeah. kind of talk us through as that growth was starting to accelerate, you know, what was your thought process and what did you guys yeah. ultimately do as the business was growing? Yeah. So, uh, so it's very fortunate. Our, our very first employee is a guy who's still with us today, Ryan Drotti. And, uh, he was really the, the the linchpin operationally to make sure that everything everything that that I was selling on my end or that my business partner at the time was selling was getting delivered. But you're totally right. It started it started to get to a point where I think at one point he was he was producing like 26 shows or something just absurd, and uh, we it, it was just about at a breaking point. I think my story is a little bit different because I came out of the gate with really a mindset of delegation. And so where I think a lot of entrepreneurs take a lot of that on themselves, I knew because of how much personal development and and how like just the type of content I was consuming pre-becoming an entrepreneur. I, I listened to a lot of what I call entrepreneur content. And I knew that the fastest way to die and burn out was going to be doing everything myself. So right. I started the business with that understanding, knowing I can't be the only one doing this. So I slotted into a sales like slot into the company pretty quickly. And Instantly. I mean, I wrote one article for a client before I realized I never want to do that again and <laughs> brought Ryan on board. And so having, having Ryan there from the start was so helpful, but eventually realized that, man, we're breaking this guy. Like he can't do anymore. And right around, right around that time, it, we had just brought on, uh, Logan, Logan Lyles onto our team. And so he literally tripled the size of our, of our business, uh, in the first, six months that he was with us. And in doing so, it causes, a, you know, a landslide of operational inefficiencies. And so you just don't, Ryan was already at a breaking point and couldn't handle anymore. So it forced us into figuring out, okay, what is, we need to start hiring some, some other producers. How much can a single producer take on? How many clients can they take? We had had a, a decent strategy around creating process. We knew like the 67 steps that it took to launch a show. And, and it was a pretty productized service by that point. Obviously still had a lot of, of areas to grow around like our process around finance and hiring and all of those areas. But it's, it's been, it's been a long journey of just of figuring out, okay, who's the next person we need to bring in to fix whatever dysfunction that we're seeing in the business. And in the early days, it was, it was sales because we were selling this new thing that nobody wanted. And then when we finally figured out the right market, 
combined with the right timing and had Logan now who clearly could sell out of his mind way better than I ever could. It was, okay, what's, what's the next kind of fire to put out, so to speak? Right. Um, and, and how can we identify the talent that can effectively put out that fire? So it's, it's so crazy to me how just the journey of the entrepreneur is, is just a constant journey of putting out fires and, and dealing with really, really hard things. Uh, yeah. And the financial upside of entrepreneurship comes so much further down the road than you think going into it. And so we're four and a half years in now, and I'm just now starting to see the, you know, the, the early signs of, of the financial fruit of, of business. The labor. And, yeah. The yeah. Labor and, and it's just crazy. I would have never, had you told me that at the beginning, <laughs> my, my mentor tells me, he said, you know, James, if, if entrepreneurs knew on day one, kind of what the journey was going to look like, nobody would become an entrepreneur because this crap is way harder than, than what people think. And so yeah. had I known what I know now on day one, it probably, probably wouldn't be here today. Cause I'd have been like, Nope, I'm out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think from what I'm learning, I think you, you probably would have. And you know, it's interesting. A couple of things I just want to go back and, and reiterate off of was uh, the fact that you knew you had to be able to delegate. I think 90% of the folks that I've had on here, no matter what level of scale they've got to, that's was their biggest challenge, right? Is mm -hmm. getting out of the day-to-day -day of the business. It was their baby. But I think it's a great lesson that said, hey, if you are looking to scale this business beyond a solopreneur and you want to have and bring on other employees, you know, start thinking early about yeah. how, how that's going to look. And two, I had uh, Dave Webb on the show you know, I guess it's been a few weeks now. I talked to him a while ago, but you know, his, his thing was, look, this, I'm a 10 year overnight success. And if it's not longer than that, and his biggest takeaway or advice for, you know, younger founders or entrepreneurs is, man, you have to love the process and what mm -hmm. you're doing on a day in and day out basis, because you're going to be disappointed yeah. at the end of the journey, whether you get to the point you thought you wanted to get to is, you know, all of a sudden ten, four and a half years are gone. And if you didn't enjoy what you're doing for those four and a half years, yeah. then yeah. It, it wasn't worth the, you know, so basically love the, yeah. the journey, which you know, the other thing again, that I like that's been different about your story is when you were scaling, you thought about it differently, right? It didn't fall into the traditional, here's the five silos, right? Marketing, yeah. sales, you know, operations, customer yeah. success, people do that. And, but you were intentional about how you went to market differently, right? With mm -hmm. Logan through the sales, but he's also a host of, you know, yeah. uh, your most popular show, one of the co-hosts of, yeah. of, of that show. And it just, I think it's again, back to your out of the box thinking, you know, if it didn't work and we're not talking today, <laughs> we're not yeah. having it. But, but I yeah. do think that the world has changed enough to think differently about how you do it. The yeah. roles people are going to play define, like you said, with the operations and the process. And so you can bring new people on. And yeah. I think we mentioned before the show, it's either you're getting close to, to 20 employees. So from mm -hmm. one, two, three to, to 20, you know, yeah. having that, those, those in place. And the, the other area I want to talk to you about that growth was as you were, you had a clear vision of what the, you wanted the company to be. And, you know, we talked with entrepreneurs that have a mission and, or at least a vision for the company, who we are, yeah. what we stand for, what we do. And if you can't get all 18, 20 employees, you know, sharing that vision, it's going to make it much mm -hmm. more difficult. So, 
maybe not necessarily what the vision is, even though I'd be interested, but you know, yeah. how did you make sure as you were bringing new people on that, you know, they would be a good fit for, for what you were trying to accomplish? Cause this is yeah. not traditional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So the, the we've, I've, I feel like I've really only recently in the last month or two, we just shared it with our entire team at our producer retreat last week, even, and I just announced it this week. So, uh, the, our, our vision statement, which is to educate 1 million leaders every single day, because when leaders learn the world gets better. And so that's our, that's our vision. That's our mission. That's what I really want the rallying cry of our entire organization to be. But that's only really been in the last couple months. I would say the vision and mission that I had leading up to that was that I, I wanted to create something that loved people well. I wanted to create an organization that uh, that loved our customers well, that loved our employees well, that loved the marketplace well. And so whether you are a guest on our show, whether you're a customer, whether you're an employee, that's really, I mean, for me, it's a, it's a big part of my faith. I'm a Christian and, and the Bible says, you know, love God and love people. Those are the, those are the biggest things. And so, uh, and, and it says the, the way we'll know that we're loving God is by the way we love people. And so for me, if I can build an organization that is all about loving people, then that's, that was my North star and that's what I wanted to do. So having clarity around our vision more, more specifically, you know, we want to educate a million leaders a day. We think we're going to do that by building a thousand different industry shows. Right. And if each of those shows are reaching a thousand people a day, then we've met our mission where we're reaching a million leaders a day. But the way we're going to do that, I think, is through our core values. And that's something we really got a lot of clarity around earlier this year. And our three core values are to love people well, to never stop learning, and to own the result. And, and since we've gotten clarity around those values, we now hire based on those values. We do promotions based on those values. We have people leave the organization based on those values. And had I had clarity around those on day one, obviously there would have been a lot of bumps that we would have missed along the way, but you learn from those bumps. And so the, the, the combination of the values being the how and the vision being kind of the why or, or the North star, like this is where we're going, but right. our values dictate how we get there. And to me, I'm super passionate about how we get there. Speaking to the point you made earlier of, I, I want to enjoy the process and uh, it's a long road and it might be 10, 15, 20 years before we realize, you know, the mission that we're trying to accomplish. And I know that if, if I've pursued that mission by loving people, well, a constant pursuit of learning and owning the result along the way, taking personal responsibility for what's mine to take responsibility for, not, not pushing the, the buck to someone else. Right. Uh, if I'm proactive and, and, and taking responsibility, those three things, then I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy the process. And if I'm, if I'm doing that alongside other people that are bought into those things as well, then I'm going to really love doing what we do. And so even if it does take 15 or 20 years for us to realize the mission that we're on uh, or to, to accomplish the mission that we're on, I'm good with that. So long-winded answer, but, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what I would say there. No, and I love it. I think that makes so much sense because you want people that want to be there. Like I said, life's too short to, I mean, I just think I grew up a little bit older than you, won't say how much, but you know, there was, a, you know, corporate America was what you did, right? I mean, you talked about school, not preparing folks and I, and maybe there was some mission driven stuff and, and people really focused on 
and again, I'm not a big fan of the you know work life balance. It's you got the one life, yeah. <laughs> so do what yep. you like. But you know, it took me a long time to figure that out, right? And mm. I'm so happy now to see more companies. And I do. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't believe that you know startups and small companies are the future of what we're doing. Just because of exactly what you're creating, it's really hard to do that at at really large companies. So. Yeah. Um, kudos to you on that. And you kind of mentioned you. you wish you would have started that sooner just so to maybe transition away from this point because I want to be respectful of, of your time. Is there anything else, maybe lessons learned and you've learned in the four and a half or maybe something you would have done differently over that, that time span? One thing that we did get right from the very start was this concept of recurring revenue. And so building a business where baked into the fiber of what we were doing was a recurring revenue model. So even back when we were writing, when we were writing blog content for people, it was based on, Hey, you know, you're going to give us a thousand bucks a month and we're going to produce, you know, whatever, four blog posts a month or six blog posts a month or whatever it was back then. And by having that recurring revenue and not having to kind of hit the reset button on the first of the month, every month and go, you know, okay, we got to start over. It allowed us to have some kind of compounding, like the, the effect my, my wife loves compounding interest. And she, uh, you know, she just talks about it all the time because her dad drilled it in her head growing up and we apply that to a business. I had been studying a lot of SaaS companies and, and tried to build a SaaS company, but didn't really want to get into the raising money thing and like doing, doing that. So I knew that building a tech company probably wasn't going to be my path. But I applied this idea of recurring revenue that I was learning from all these SaaS companies and applied it into our service based business. I'm so grateful that I did. We just hired a, a new COO a few months ago. And it's something that he tells me all the time. Just James, man, I, I haven't been a part of a business that has recurring revenue baked into it like this. And it's so helpful. And so he, uh, him being so complimentary of it made me realize like, oh, maybe this isn't a normal thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, because right. I, I I only know what I know, and and this business is is the is really the stamp of my entrepreneur journey. I don't have a lot of companies in my portfolio that I, that right. I've sold or, or anything like that in the past. So this is what I know, and so him bringing that up as often as he does, and you know, he's successfully exited three businesses himself and has had a very storied career as an entrepreneur. So for him to bring that up makes me say, Oh man, I, I, I should probably start sharing that with people more is if you can bake recurring revenue, if you can build a service or a product that gives value to someone so much so that they will pay for it month after month after month, then do that because it, it, uh, it, it pays big, big, big time dividends. No pun intended, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> now, I think I think the the world is maybe slowly catching on. And I don't know if you've got there's a franchise group up here. Well, two of them: one, Massage Envy, which is a massage place. Yep. Another one called the Joint, which is a chiropractic place. And both are operated. They're not SaaS models because they're not. Yep. You know, but they are te- technically they're just non technical SaaS companies. Yep. There, it's hey, here's your monthly fee. You come in and. You know, they can plan, a, you know, staffing, everything else based yep. on, you know, that, that reoccurring revenue. The predictability of it yeah, is, uh, is what makes it so, so helpful. That's awesome. All right, James, that would, I think that's a good positive note to leave folks on. But what I do want to do is, is close with our, call it fast round or semi-fast rapid fire <laughs> round, where I'm going to ask you a, a few questions to let the, the audience get to know you a little bit. So when you're ready, are you ready? And we can get I'm started. I'm ready. Fire All away, right, my so man. 
The first one is, you know, a, a time or an event that helps shape who you are today, either professionally or personally. And I, I think, um, you know, when I was 15 years old and came to, came to faith in Jesus with obviously a life transforming moment for me. And, it, you know, happened at a summer camp in, in uh, Southern Oklahoma. And so that, you know, my relationship with God is, is now guided, you know, every other decision in my life from the people that I surround myself to the wife that I married. And, and it's had a profound impact on the way that I lead this business. And so, so I would say that that's probably the, the most instrumental moment uh, of my life people helping people and being nice to people, right? And can't, yep. can't argue with that. Yep. Okay. Number two, slightly different, but uh, you know, I love this question is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? Again, could be professional or personal. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend every business leader reading the book, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Patrick talks a lot about organizational health. And he that book is really what spearheaded us getting clarity around our values and ultimately getting clarity around our vision and mission. And those things seem like really fluffy pie in the sky ideas, but the tangible benefits that come whenever you know what your organization cares about, it guides your ability to be healthy as an organization. And so I've read several books from Lencioni. The Advantage is probably my my favorite one. So if I had to, had to recommend anything, I would say go read that book and then get serious about organizational health. And, and yeah. there's a lot of elements in that. Core values is a big piece of it, but that would be my suggestion. And I'll add that to the show notes too, so people can find it. And I, a hundred percent, I think, you know, there's four foundational pieces of the business and that's a big one. If you don't yep. have the the core, the earlier you find it, the better, but sometimes mm-hmm. it evolves and pivots understood. But yep. no, I, I think that's great. And the last one you're going to leave us with is uh, what I call last call. So if you could only have one more beverage, you know, think of this as your last meal, mm-hmm. uh, what would it be? Chocolate milk, hands down. Oh, nice. Okay. Any anything behind it other than you just love chocolate? I milk. freaking love chocolate milk. <laughs> I'm ironically not a huge fan of regular milk, but man, I was just at breakfast yesterday, and I rarely eat breakfast. But we were at this breakfast restaurant, and uh, it reminded me how how much glory there is in chocolate milk because <laughs> man, it tasted good. I would say Cherry Coke Zero because Cherry Coke Zero is my like go to drink. But if it was my last drink. Because I drink like four Cherry Coke Zeros a day, I think I'd want something a little bit more special and, and chocolate milk would do the trick. Uh, that's awesome. I think my the first guest, which was Diana Finley, I asked this question and she came up with, uh, I think it was a chocolate milkshake. I'm like, man, yes. I wouldn't have thought. Because you think it would have been alcohol, wine, coffee. Yes. Coffee would have been close in, in my world. But no, I love chocolate milk. That's great. So again, thank you, James, so much for your time today. Is there anything else you want to throw out before we wrap up? No, I mean, if, if anybody wants to, uh, wants to connect with me, Brett, I would love to connect with them. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, James Carberry, C-A-R-B-A-R-Y. You'll see it in the show notes, I'm sure. But Twitter, Instagram, I'm starting to get really active on Instagram or trying to be more active on Instagram. Uh, and then my email is james at sweetfishmedia.com. So if anybody wants to, to reach out or connect, uh, love, love meeting new friends. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your journey. I know you're, you're only partial, partially the way through it, but congrats on the, I call it early success, but yep. I love <laughs> and it. where it's going. I think it's exciting. You're doing something different. And so continued success as, as you grow your business. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brett. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.